The following program is for informational purposes only. Do not make any investment without speaking to a licensed financial advisor. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you? And welcome to today's edition of the Financial Physician Podcast. Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner. And your money doctor, each and every week we upload Sunday morning, 7 a.m., our two-hour program where we talk money, markets, politics, and anything I feel like talking about. We do an eclectic show here on The Financial Physician. We cover a lot of different subjects here and mainly finance in the first hour. The second hour tends to be more politics and current events. And boy, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm very, very tired. Uh, I just got back from a seven-day cruise. Um, just literally a couple of hours ago. So it's midday Saturday. I usually do a lot of the pre-production on the program on Fridays, uh, and then I record it on Saturday. Uh, but each show takes about 10 hours total to put together. So <laughs> I can't tell you that I'm terribly motivated today to, uh, uh, to try to do a two-hour show. So it may be a little abbreviated show today. Maybe we'll go an hour and a half. We'll see. I got a lot to talk about in front of me, so uh, two hours may not even be enough time. But just bear with me. I got a headache. Uh, I spent seven days eating too much, uh, drinking a little too much. Uh, but I will tell you, it was uh, probably the worst cruise my wife and I have ever been on. And I'll give you a cruise. I'll give you a cruise tip. And I should know this because my wife and I are seasoned cruisers. Um, this was our fourth cruise this year, and we should know better. Uh, don't go out in New York or New Jersey in December. Uh, what was I thinking? We had the worst weather. Uh, uh, it was, uh, raining almost the entire trip. It, uh, was cold. It was windy. The seas were rough. We had to be diverted from going to, uh, this was MSC and they have their own private Island. I was looking forward to that. That was the only time I was going to get off the ship. They diverted us to Miami because they were afraid that it was going to be too windy for them to dock. They bring us to Miami where it poured all day long. And because we were, uh, entering the United States, we all had to get off the ship and go through customs, and we sat four hours in the terminal before they let us back on the ship. Now, if it was a nice day, we'd go to South Beach, we'd do something in Miami, but it was pouring rain the entire time. Uh, everybody was aggravated. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty terrible trip altogether. So um, we'll get through the show. We'll get through this together, me and you. And let me tell you, this country is getting crazier, insaner, uh, I'm trying to count how many times I say the word insane uh, on this program, but uh, some of the things we're going to talk about later in the program, it, it just blows your mind. From sa a, a satanic statue in Iowa's capital 
that's later destroyed by a Christian veteran, uh, to after-school satanic clubs. Uh, What else do we have for you? Um, uh, Hunter Biden giving the middle finger to Congress. Uh, Congress voting to have an official impeachment inquiry, of which not one one Democrat voted for. And uh, there's a lot more to come. Uh, In Boston, the racist mayor only has a holiday party and no whites are allowed. And we'll have more of the craziness that's going on in college campuses uh, with these crazy left-wing anti-Semitic presidents. Uh, Lots to talk about today. But we're going to start off talking about a very significant development in the markets. The Federal Reserve met uh, this past week. And Wednesday, they came out with their... um, their decision, and their decision was to leave interest rates unchanged. But that wasn't the kicker. The kicker was Powell, the Federal uh, Federal Reserve Chairman, came out and said that they are open. They're starting to talk about decreasing interest rates into the new year. And market veterans are asking, like, what exactly changed in less than two weeks? Two weeks ago, Powell was telling the market that quote premature to conclude with confidence that we have achieved a sufficiently restrictive stance or to speculate on what on when policy might ease. So two weeks later, he changes uh, and he suddenly starts warning the market about interest rate cuts. And he goes on to say that begins to come into view and is clearly a topic of discussion out in the world and also a discussion for us at our meeting today. So in two weeks, he went from, no, we're not talking about interest rates to talking about cutting interest rates. Now, the interesting thing was some of the economic data that's come out over the last two weeks are, are pretty strong, from the jobs number to retail sales uh, to a number of other ones, um, consumer confidence, uh, uh, wages increasing. All these things are, are inflationary. So I'll tell you what I think happened. Biden's approval ratings are in the gutter, especially on the economy. And I think uh, Powell probably got a phone call because you know the White House does not like the fact that Powell's been raising interest rates aggressively like he has over the last couple of years. No president likes that. You know, it, it just makes the economy weaker. And, you know, people out there are feeling the pain. And Biden's numbers are showing that. So, uh, and they were going into an election year. So I think that uh, our friend, Mr. Powell, got a phone call. Now, the Fed's not supposed to be political. They're not supposed to make interest rates go down in an election year to make the existing president look bad. But uh, nothing would surprise me with this White House. And they've come out. I mean, they've been increasingly angry about, about the economy, and they're blaming him. They're blaming the Federal Reserve. But meanwhile, they created the inflation that made the Federal Reserve raise interest rates and slow the economy. And uh, I think that uh, the White House is very, very panicky going into 2024. And I think that we're going to start seeing interest rate cuts as early as March. Now, a lot of people don't think they were going to start cutting rates until after the election. Uh, so now it's going to be an election year. He's going to be lowering rates, which usually is stimulative to the economy. Now, it may backfire. It may cause a resurgence in high inflation, uh, which would make the Fed have to uh, go backwards the other way and start raising rates again. They look like they don't know what they're doing. Right. So don't think that the Fed is apolitical. It's not. It's always been political. 
And, you know, you can go back uh, to 1965. Uh, very interesting story uh, of LBJ um, and uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson and then Federal Reserve President William McChenzie Martin. And Martin raised interest rates a half a percentage point. And LBJ went ballistic about it. And he, he called in... Uh, Mr. Uh, Martin to come to his ranch in Texas to talk about this. And apparently uh, he was so enraged that he told everybody to get out of the room, but him and the, the Federal Reserve chairman, Mr. Martin. And, you know, uh, Johnson was like six foot two. He was a big man. And Mr. Martin was a, a little guy. He pushed him up against the wall. He, he pinned him against the wall and told him uh, how displeased he was over his action. He said, you went ahead and did something you knew I disapproved of that could affect my entire team here. You took advantage of me and I'm not going to forget it because here I am, a sick man. <laughs> he called himself a sick man. You got me into a position uh, where you, uh, you can run a rapier into me and you've run it. Martin, my boys are dying in Vietnam, and you won't print the money I need. Now, Martin stood his ground. He didn't reverse himself, uh, but shortly thereafter, he did. Um, LBJ got what he wanted a few months later, uh, where he started bringing interest rates down, and that caused the you know, great inflation that we saw in the late 70s into the 80s because of that. So... Um, Almost 60 years later, I, I think Powell decided to pivot uh, because he had the equivalent of Biden people pushing him up against the wall and threatening them. We'll see, you know, how that plays out. Now, of course, he'll never admit that. Now, when it was announced that, you know, they're talking about lowering rates, uh, markets went ballistic to the upside because usually the Fed doesn't surprise. And that's another thing that's very curious about this timing is the Fed doesn't surprise. It wants the markets to, 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 to know ahead of time pretty much where their stance is. And for him to dramatically pivot in his language about this uh, was truly interesting, uh, to say the least, especially to people who short the market. Um, so uh, the stock market took off, the bond market took off, the gold market took off, oil took off. Everything went up, bonds, stocks, uh, and quite dramatically. Interest rates dropped. The dollar dropped. Mortgage rates dropped. Uh, so it had uh, quite an earthquake quake of, uh, effect on the financial markets. That's because markets are addicted to, to cheap money. And the economy does better when money is cheap. People spend more money. They borrow more money. The houses become more affordable. And the market's really like that. So the markets had a great week. It's uh, the last six weeks or so after the markets bottomed in October. I mean, they had a rough July, September, and October. Uh, it's been straight up, basically. The Dow Jones Industrial Average for the week was up almost 3% and 12.54% for the year. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 2.5%, up almost 23% for the year. And the NASDAQ, forget the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ uh, uh, is insane, up almost 3% up 41% for the year. And that's mainly 10 stocks that are moving the NASDAQ. 
So the stock market's having a good year, and many people, myself included, are surprised because of the valuations, because of what's happening to the consumer, uh, the cost of money, interest rates. Um, but apparently the market's shaking it off and looking towards the future and saying, well, you know, if the Fed's going to lower rates, all things are going to be good again. Uh, let's take a look at the 10-year Treasury bond. The yield fell below 4%. It's, it closed on Friday at 3.91%. We haven't been under 4 in a long, long time. And we peaked at 5 and a quarter. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that it affects mortgage rates. Mortgage rates are, are very closely tied to the yield on a 10-year. And this week, a 30-year fixed mortgage dropped to 7.02%. Just in um, October, October 17th, uh, mortgage rates were almost 85 so that's a dramatic decline in mortgage rates, uh, which should be good for the housing market. It should, uh, I don't know if it's going to, um, I mean, it's not 3% like it was, but it's going in the right direction. And it should, it's, it should support uh, housing prices. Uh, oil uh, has been down quite a bit. It was in the 60s uh, per barrel earlier in the week, uh, but went up with everything else when uh, Powell's bombshell we may lower rate soon announcement. Gold shot up big time, had one of its best days ever. Um, well, I shouldn't say ever, but it was up quite a bit um, on, on Wednesday. Uh, it closed this week at $2,034 an ounce, pretty close to an all-time high. Uh, it, I think it hit the all-time high earlier in the week. Silver was up big as well. I mean, everything went up this week. No matter where you were, if you were in the bond market, you made money. If you were in the stock market, you made money. If you were in commodities, you made money. If you were in gold, you made money. I can't tell you what happened to your house price because we, 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 there's no quote for that. Uh, but I'm sure it probably firmed up a lot too. So uh, the markets just love what the Fed had to say. I think it's purely political. Uh, and it's, it's being done not to battle inflation, um, not to stimulate the economy, but try to stimulate uh, Joe Biden's poll numbers. Uh, I don't think he's going to do it. Um, really, I don't. Uh, he's got other problems out there besides just what's happening in the economy. Uh, we'll talk later on about uh, the impeachment inquiry, uh, his son giving a middle finger to Congress and you know, uh, not showing up for a deposition. We'll play some of that later. I mean, his, his speech was... Uh, uh, one for the ages. Uh, one for the ages. Uh, we'll play part of that later on in the program. But markets like what the Fed's doing, and we'll see if this rally continues throughout um, the next couple of weeks to uh, end what would be a really, really good year uh, for socks uh, and bonds uh, and gold and pretty much everything else. And it's kind of strange, too, because we had that banking crisis, you know, back in March where banks were failing. Uh, and if we look at some of the some of the news out there, you know, you say, how could you have, you know, Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at a record high on Friday. It's never been higher. And then I look at this, uh, this headline here, homelessness soars to record highs in America. Homelessness has risen sharply in the United States with a report from the House and Urban Development indicating that around 653,000 people were homeless, the highest number on record. How about that? Think about that number. 653,000 Americans are homeless. I mean, you look at inflation, you know, rent for houses, how expensive it is. Uh, and that's the reason people said they just can't afford 
to pay over 2000 a month for an apartment. And HUD's uh, annual report, which just came out, uh, they said that homelessness, homelessness is up 12%, which is over 70,000 individuals compared to just a year earlier. And again, 653,104 homeless people. And I bet you that's underestimated. I bet you it's higher than that. I mean, how do you count everybody? And quite disturbingly, uh, the sharpest rise in homelessness was among people in families with children, rising uh, 15.5% year over year. Carrie Lake, uh, who's running for U.S. Senate in Arizona and had her uh, gubernatorial election stolen from her, uh, just as uh, Trump was having his stolen. Uh, she came out and she blamed Joe Biden's policies for the homelessness. She said, in Joe Biden's America, it's almost impossible to pay rent or afford a home. And she's right. She's right. But meanwhile, you know, you see uh, the stock market at record highs. Uh, and then how do you reconcile that with that, with this kind of number? And then you, uh, how about this one? Uh uh, bank loan volume shrink and trouble is brewing. But meanwhile, bank stocks have been going up. A lot of these regional banks that got killed earlier this year are higher now than they were before the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and the banks that followed. And banks are still push- putting their depressed bonds with the Fed as their bailout facility just hit another record high this week. Maybe that's why the Fed's going to raise, uh, is talking about lowering interest rates. Uh, maybe to get those bond portfolios up again. I don't know. Only time will tell. Now, this uh, bank uh, funding facility that they, they, they decided to do back in March, it runs out in March. It was only a 12-month program. But meanwhile, banks are still getting aid from the Federal Reserve. What happens when that stops in March? Uh, do we go right back to a banking crisis again? I don't know. We'll have to see. And if the Fed's believing the numbers that are coming out of Washington as far as the consumer price index and the producer price index, uh, uh, I think they're they're being quite stupid. You know, politicians keep telling us inflation is low. It's going down. But everybody can see that it costs a lot more everything than it once did. And our standard of living is going down. Now, even J.P. Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon, He's admitting that inflation is hurting people. So how can inflation be hurting people if it's under control? Because the truth is, it's not under control. And if we measured the inflation rate uh, the way we did in 1980, it would be well into double-digit territory right now. And prices have been moving higher, faster than paychecks have. And of course, that's putting stress on the middle class and all Americans to some extent. More than 60% of U.S. adults are currently living paycheck to paycheck. Vox, V-O-X, is a website that leans very far to the left. And even they're complaining about inflation. So they had a recent article, and they declared that life in the U.S. in 2023, quote, means being in a constant state of sticker shock, unquote. You walk out of a grocery store feeling like you're not really sure what happened. But somehow your normal fare ran you $50 more than you, sh- you swear it should have. Did Diet Coke always cost that much? Or eggs? 
Maybe you've been put off buying uh, that new car in the hopes prices go back to where they were pre-pandemic. But you're still starting to feel like the wait is awfully long. I wouldn't wait too long. Uh, it's it's not coming back. Um, and they go on to give other examples of people who, after being out at happy hour, the next morning they wake up and they thought they only had two glasses of wine, but the bill on their credit card makes them think they had four. Um, but they only had two. Uh, and, the, and the hard numbers back this up. The typical household in this country must spend uh, an additional 11434 annually, according to the U.S. Senate Joint Economic Committee, in order to have the same standard of living, living that it did when Joe Biden entered the White House. 11434 You know the average household makes in the 40s? I'm not going to say household. I'm going to say um, American workers. Half of all American workers make less than $40,847 a year before taxes. So if you're one of those workers, life isn't easy for you because your wages didn't go up $11,434 since 2021. Even really basic things cost so much more right now. Here's an example. You know a Big Mac value mail? We'll set you back $18 in some parts of the country right now. $18. A Big Mac burger, a medium beverage, and a medium fry meal now cost $18 in some locations, up $10 from 2018. When our favorite president was in Washington. Uh, so you have to be a relatively wealthy guy now to go to McDonald's. And it's just not fast food that's becoming more expensive. You know, you go to the grocery store, it's unbelievable. You have a half a cart, it's $150. A pound of uh, ground beef now costs $5.23 on average, up from $3.89 in January 2020. Coffee is up some $2 a pound. Uh, Fresh fruits and vegetables up nearly 14%. And at one point, uh, eggs, a carton of eggs was triple the pre-pandemic price. It's come down a bit. But now um, there's a new uh, bird flu going on in the egg-laying chicken community. Uh, and prices may hit up again. And uh, so it's a luxury item, beef now. Then you go into everything else, like uh, the cost of auto insurance or home insurance. In 2022, uh, the average price of, of, of both types of insurance saw its biggest spike in five years. And this year, uh, rates are projected to grow by an even greater amount. Um, so when you combine both expenses, the average American household is now spending over 3700 a year for car insurance and home insurance. How can anybody afford that? especially if you're making 40000 a year. And don't get me started on health insurance. It's insane. Uh, December 1st, my uh, group insurance policy at AFM Investments went up again for the 30th straight year. Uh, it never stays the same. It always goes up. And then I looked at the card, the new card I have. Now I have a, a 40% copay, up from 30% until I hit my uh, deductible. So the premiums go up, the coverage goes down. 
And we're seeing that across the board with health insurance and um, almost any other insurance. The system is so broken. I mean, I pay over $2,000 a month for my wife and I. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that, that's more than some people's mortgages. And we have co-pays and we have deductibles and all that. And, uh, of course, Joe Biden doesn't want to take any blame for any of this. He was accusing uh, corporations of price gouging. Like, um, like companies are gouging people on groceries. I mean, the cost of everything's gone up for them, too. And he's threatening that. Uh, he said, what do you say here? Let me be clear. To any corporation that has not brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, even as supply chains have been rebuilt, it's time to stop the price gouging. Imploring them to give American consumer a break. Really? Uh, you're going to tell corporations how they should price their products. And inflation has not come down. The rate of increases come down. So why would, why would anybody lower the prices unless you had deflation? Uh, the rate of inflation, yeah, is according to the government numbers, which, again, I don't trust one of them between now and the election. So there's only so much that, you know, the average American family can cut back on. And it's making people very unhappy. And, uh, and they're blaming, rightfully so, the current administration. There was a recent um, uh, recent survey by uh, Credit Karma, and it said nearly all Americans, 96%, are concerned about the current state of the economy. Still, though, more than a quarter are doom spending. Have you heard that term before, doom spending? Spending money uh, despite economic and geopolitical concerns. A lot of people figure that if everything is about to fall apart, well, they may wa- they may as well enjoy their life while they can. Uh, that may not be a good, as a certified financial planner. I really don't think doom spending is a smart thing to do. Uh, and the problem is they're doom spending with credit cards. Uh, they're not doing it with their savings. Hey, you want to spend your savings? That's up to you. Uh, but when you uh, go into debt to uh, enjoy your life, that's not a good thing. Uh, so that's what makes it very, very interesting, like I said before, with the Fed, that inflation is still an issue out there. They have not killed inflation. And if they want to believe their own fudge numbers that the government puts out, well, that's up to them. Uh, but the average American knows better. And I don't think uh, lowering interest rates a little bit next year is going to change things. Um, and again, that's, it's hard to reconcile uh, a record high Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, giving, given what I just laid out to you, as far as the homelessness goes and the inflation and the, the slowing economy and the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle of Americans, and uh, Biden's going to pay the price. But Biden's not even going to be the the candidate. We all know that. I've been telling you this for a year, and we'll see how long it, it takes um, for him to just be too far gone, or some health emergency, which he he's obviously in the midst of a health emergency right now. Um, so whoever that um, candidate is will say, well, look, you know, I didn't create that inflation. Uh, that was Joe Biden. And we're going to bring it back down. 
Although Trump, you know, could, could campaign on, hey, during my administration, we had low inflation, very low inflation. We had a good economy. And we had a lot of other things, too, like a border wall and uh, controlled immigration. Let's take a quick break. My name is Louis Katigny. You're listening to the Financial Physician Podcast. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Registered Investment Advisory Services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Hey, you want to get in touch with me? It's a very easy thing to do. Just email me at lou, L-O-U, at thefinancialphysician.com. Promise to respond to each and every email. If I didn't respond to an email you sent me last week, I was on vacation. I was out of the country a lot of the time. I was at sea. I didn't have access uh, to my business email. Uh, and, uh, but Monday when I go uh, back to the office, I'm going to look at all my emails and I'll respond to you. So I apologize if you sent an email last week and think I didn't read it. I will. Uh, like I said, I just got home. It's, it's um, mid-afternoon on Saturday and just got home like midday uh, and after being out for a week. So I'll, I'll be in the office on Monday and I'll catch up with all your emails at that time. You want to help me grow this podcast? Then uh, tell your friends about it. Send them the link, um, put it on your social media, put it on any websites that, that you um, you travel to, uh, any forums, uh, and that's the way the podcast grows. If you enjoy what you hear on this program, you find it informative, entertaining, then share it with like-minded people. Uh, this show is not for everybody, <laughs> as, as many of you know. Uh, this is a conservative show, and uh, I, I kind of ruffle the feathers of some very sensitive people out there. People become so sensitive these days. They get triggered so easily. Uh, and we know it's the, the woke left in this country. And I have my share of enemies out there um, that send me love letters, love emails. Uh, I actually like reading some of them. They, they, they're quite comical. Maybe I'll read some of them, uh, some of the hate emails I get. And I don't get a lot, but I do, especially when I was on the radio because people would stumble upon the program driving down the Garden State Parkway uh, and some lib would hear me talking about transgender issues and uh, all of a sudden I would get a, an email, a love letter from them or they'd just call the station and demand me being taken off the air. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing podcast only now. Uh, radio is too dangerous and it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's going uh, away. 
I mean, I don't think terrestrial radio has many more years left in it. And it, being around the radio business for 25 years, even longer, I've seen how it's declined. I see how the, uh, the number of employees in a studio uh, just continue to dwindle. Uh, and I, I don't think, you know, you have other options. You got XM satellite radio, you have Apple Music, you know, Google, all that stuff. Who wants to listen to music on a staticky radio and listen to commercials? Um, and that's why uh, uh, alternatives are being sought out. And I, I, I enjoy doing podcasts only. Uh, it gives me the ability to say what I want without worrying about offending too many people. Because anybody listening to the podcast you know, knows what it's about. And if you're, you're going to get triggered and upset with me at something I say in this program, uh, then chances are the only reason you're listening to it is to try to catch me saying something. Uh, so you could uh, try to uh, somehow cancel me. That's not going to happen. Anyway, thanks for uh, sharing the podcast with uh, family and friends. That's the only way it grows. All right, this week a D.C. jury, um, which might as well be Democrat-controlled jury, uh, ruled that Rudy Giuliani owes plaintiffs $148 million in Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss's lawsuit against Giuliani for the alleged defamation after he claimed the two women contributed to voter fraud in Georgia's 2020 election. Now, to refresh your memory, there is videotapes of these two women. One's the daughter of the other. Do you remember in Atlanta, in Atlanta, Georgia, they sent all the Republicans home because they said there was a water break, a water pipe break? And then when all the Republicans left, the two of them took boxes of ballots out from under tables and ran them through what appeared to be uh, ballot counting machines multiple times. So in other words, uh, they committed voter fraud. Or at least that's what the cameras indicate. Got to be careful what I say here. I don't have $148 million. I don't think Giuliani does either. Uh, but this is insane. All right. Not only do they don't get busted for, for apparent voter fraud, they're going to be awarded $75 million each. Now, this is insane. This would be an award that a, that a corporation would have to give for, for killing people, like a pharmaceutical company or something like that. I mean, we'll talk about that later. Um, not from an individual. I mean, where's, I don't think Rudy Giuliani has $148 million. Now, what's interesting here is uh, uh, their attorneys asked the jury to award just $24 million to each plaintiff. Like, that's not a lot of money plus money for emotional distress and punitive damages. And the jury added an additional $100 million to Ruby and Shay's massive demand. Uh, that's what happens with D.C. jurors, right? They are, you know, look, in the D.C., that's why, it's, it, you know, everybody's saying Trump can't get a fair trial in D.C. First of all, he's got a Trump-hating judge, and a jury is going to be 92% Democrat. D.C., D.C. voted 92% for Biden last time. And they hate Trump. How do you, how is he, anybody, any conservative, any Republican to get a fair trial in Washington, D.C.? It's impossible. Uh, and this is a crazy, incredible. They just tried to, to, you know, link, you know, Giuliani with Trump and they all hated Trump. And so let's just give them $150 million. It's almost, it's almost uh, comical. I don't know, I don't know too many people uh, who have that. Now, in August, 
Obama-appointed D.C. Judge Beryl Howell decided that Rudy Giuliani was legally liable for defaming Ruby and Shea because he was late in producing relative evidence to the election workers' attorneys. So she pronounced Rudy guilty of a crime. Guilty of the crime. We later learned that Rudy could not turn over the documents to the attorneys because he was not holding the information. Investigators were holding it in another case against Rudy. And it appears, it appears that investigators may have lost a significant portion of the information that was turned over. Uh, this, is, this is just more and more of Trump-related people being prosecuted uh, selectively, uh, where all the Democrats get a free pass no matter how much their crimes are. This wasn't a crime, right? It was on video, and he was pointing it out. And the video's still there. My question for them is, why aren't they in jail? Forget getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, of course, Giuliani's going to appeal the case because the numbers are ridiculous, right? But what are they going to do? Cut it back from 150 to uh, $80 million? Uh, we'll see what happens with this, but uh, uh, who, who would be surprised with a D.C. jury? And this is what Donald Trump's going to have to deal with, uh, with this J6, um, January 6th uh, trial that he has to perform. You know, the judge hates him. The jury's going to hate him. They're going to convict him. And they're trying to do everything they can to have this trial and conviction before the election. Now, um, there was a very interesting exchange between um, Tucker Carlson and Megyn Kelly. Megyn Kelly has a very popular podcast now. Uh, you remember she was on Fox and she uh, was the debate moderator with Trump and they got into it or she got into it with him. Uh, but I like her a lot. She's a really smart woman and she has a great podcast, uh, the Megyn Kelly podcast, I think. And um, Tucker Carlson was on it and they were talking about the sham trials against Trump. And then how it may, uh, Tucker said, it will lead uh, to violence. Take a listen. This is one of the reasons why I said if, if this Judge Chutkin in D.C., this federal judge, because we assume Trump's going to get convicted in that case. I mean, the smart bet would be this D.C. jury convicts him because they hate him politically. Ninety two percent voted for Joe Biden and she hates him um, that if they if she puts him in jail pending appeal before the election, the country's going to burn. And then all this blowback, you know, all these people say, oh, my God, she's calling for violence. I'm not calling for violence, but the, there is no way the Trump base is not going to be beside itself with anger at that level of deprivation of being able to simply vote for the candidate of choice. That's what's being taken away here, like to your point. Well, yeah. And, you know, speaking of violence, that's what you're going to get. And speaking as someone who detests violence, and I, I've seen war, that's why I detest violence. So I spent a lot of my career trying to argue against moral wars because I think violence is the worst thing. But I'm just being honest here. If you leave people no alternative, then what do you think is going to happen? I mean, the whole point of electoral democracy is that it's a pressure relief valve that takes people who are very frustrated with the way things are going and gives them a way to express themselves have their desires heard and ultimately their will done to be represented in a peaceful way. And if you take that away, if you haven't staged an unfair election, which 2020 was, you know, if you if you suppress information that voters need to make an informed decision, you're rigging the election. And they did that. 
So Mm -hmm. if you keep doing that and people are like, wait, I have no economic power. You've devalued my currency. So it's like $11 for a dozen eggs and my vote doesn't matter anymore. Well, then what do I have? Like, what power do I have? And, you know, you're going to get violence if you keep this shit up. And that's just the truth. And I am very upset about that. I don't want that to happen. I think the counter violence will be much more extreme than the violence. But um, any rational person can see what's coming. So they have to stop this. The charges against Trump are not real. They're not even for serious crimes. I was told Trump was like a murderer and had killed a bunch of people in New Jersey or something. He didn't even cheat on his taxes. And they're treating him like a felon at the same time. Like they protect, you know, Epstein until they have to murder him in his cell. It's like, it's insane. And it's all on public display. Everybody knows what's going on. So I do think the people in charge, the people who are pulling the strings on Tanya Chutkin or whatever these ridiculous front people they hire, um, those people need to really think this through a little bit. You're about to wreck the country. Don't do this, please. No, they're both right. I mean, there is going to be violence. They try to jail Trump prior to the election. Can you imagine that? You will have civil war in this country. Uh, people are not going to take that. It was bad enough that they stole the election from him uh, one time. They're not going to allow this to happen. Meanwhile, the Bidens, you know, skate on everything. Uh, and people realize there is a two-tier justice system here. And nobody can get a, free, a fair trial in D.C. or New York or Atlanta, especially if you're a Trump or anybody affiliated with him. And uh, and did you hear what Tucker said? He, he said the counter violence will be worse because the left in this country are vicious, nasty, and they, they will resort to – they resort to violence now on almost any issue. Uh, they will take up arms and you're going to have a civil war in this country. And I don't say that lightly. Civil war in the United States is very, very possible. Uh, and I, I, I'd hate to see that, uh, God, to be the end of our republic. But uh, the, the, the Democrats, the, the Biden administration, the Department of Justice, the deep state are willing to burn the country to get Trump because they're so free fearful that he's going to be reelected again. And uh, they're terrified of that. Now, Megyn Kelly goes on to talk about uh, what all these liberal publications now are, are, are saying about Trump. He's going to be an authoritarian. He's going to arrest his enemies. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's the narrative now they want everybody to, to believe. Yeah. And yet, day after day, we continue to get more ridiculous think pieces like the one I mentioned at Axios, which is very worried about the white men in Trump's imaginary second cabinet, uh, that are sounding the alarm as follows. One of the terrible things we're going to see under a second Trump term. They want to target and jail their critics. <laughs> Hello? Hundreds of okay. people have gone to jail for criticizing Biden in the last right. election. Be Not honest. to mention That's what they're doing to Donald Trump in four different courtrooms, criminal courtrooms, forget the civil, right now. The rest of the list is kind of funny, Tucker. This is what Axios wants us to worry about. Um, they're also threatening in a second Trump administration to, de- to deport undocumented immigrants. <laughs> uh, hello? Uh, to unleash the military, to target drug cartels in Mexico, or possibly crack down on criminals or protesters at home. I laughed. I'm like, this is, are they trying to drive GOP turnout here? Because this is, this is not going to have the effect they intend. 
You know, you do. I mean, I, I do think that in five years we won't have outlets like Axios or NBC News. I mean, I do think the whole edifice is crumbling. But in the meantime, you would like to get, say, 300 Haitian immigrants and move them by force into the home of that reporter or anybody <laughs> who doubts the severity of what it means to live in a country with no borders. Like they, they're immune from the effects of these insane country destroying policies. And so they don't care. But it would be nice to sort of make it a little more personal for them. It's like, oh, you care so much about refugees? Here's three dozen. You're now responsible for them. No, they're not getting welfare. You're paying for them. How's that? You educate their kids. You know, you share a bathroom. Like, I, I just, I'm totally over this. This is the destruction of our country. We're watching it in real time. I was born here. I have no other passport. I'm not going anywhere else. So I'm going to have to live with this and so are my children and, God willing, my grandchildren. And it's being abetted by the news media. They're not calling the shots, but they're defending them and encouraging them. And I and I really do hope that they feel the sting of the things they're defending at some point, that it's not just working class whites in Southern Ohio or Vermont who are having to live with this crap. You know what I mean? It really should come to Logan Circle very soon. Yeah, Tucker's Unleashed. Um, uh, he now has his podcast. Uh, it's on X, formerly known as Twitter. That's That was the stupidest marketing move that Elon Musk could have ever made with Twitter. Anyway, I digress. Uh, but now Tucker's on, uh, is joining Rumble, uh, I think Truth Social, but he's got a huge, huge podcast audience. So I always listen to Megyn Kelly's podcast and uh, Tucker Carlson. Um, and uh, Tucker just announced he's opening up, he's establishing a, a, a video company uh, for streaming TV and stuff like that. Conservative stuff, of course. And he's also been rumored to be um, being considered for Trump's VP. I brought that to your attention last week, too. Uh, I doubt that that would happen. Uh, Tucker would be smarter not to do that. You know, he's making a ton of money now. He doesn't need to, to abandon what he's building. His, his, uh, he's going to be one of the bigger media brands uh, as time goes by. Uh, but great interview. If you go to Megyn Kelly... Uh, if you want to listen to the whole interview, it's uh, it, it was quite telling. It was very good. Uh, but the thing about violence in America, it's real, and people better better wake up to it. And hopefully, uh, uh, the Biden administration, the Justice Department, uh, will understand what a conviction of Trump or an incarceration erasing of uh, incarceration of Trump would do to the country. But I don't think they care. They don't care. I know they don't care. And so there's a real, real, real significant chance that we're going to see armed violence, uh, the left versus the right in this country. Uh, I don't even know how that would play out. I really don't. And I don't know how it once started, it'll end. Uh, but let's hope that um, smarter heads prevail. But there's no smart heads in Washington, D.C. There just isn't. And if Trump wins, what do you think is going to happen the next day or that night? Do you think... Uh, the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots uh, were big ones. It ain't nothing compared to what's going to happen with the left in this country. So, uh, you know, we're damned if we win, we're damned if we lose. If he's uh, incarcerated, found guilty of felonies, uh, his supporters are going to uh, not be happy. Uh, and if he is, uh, he wins re-election, uh, the left in this country is going to go crazy. And a deep state. And I think he will be following in the foots of, um, footsteps of um, John F. Kennedy. I really do. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. I really, really am. Uh, and I hate to even talk about that because he's really risking his life. I mean, 
He's already risked his financial life running for president. But now he's, he's risking, there's been calls by politicians to eliminate him, right? A, a nice word for, for kill him. Oh, no, we're just talking about eliminating him politically. No, you're not. Uh, that's a dog whistle for somebody to come out there and take him out. It's very, very dangerous. Really is. So Trump's dealing with all these crimes. Meanwhile, you know, the Biden crime family continues on. This week, uh, Hunter Biden was scheduled to appear behind closed doors in a private deposition with the Oversight Committee. And what he did is he, he, as you know, he was out in the parking lot outside the Capitol building and basically saying, I'm here. I can answer any of your questions, but I want to do it in a public forum. Well, he doesn't get to pick and choose how the Oversight Committee investigates his crimes. This guy thinks he's really, really privileged. So he goes out there, he gives a speech that um, he's the victim. The Republicans, MAGA, I always got to say MAGA because that's, you know, they're trying to demonize that word. Uh, so every time the, the press uh, or Biden or any Biden or anybody in the White House, uh, they, they use the word MAGA. As if, as if it's a pejorative, as if make America great again is, a, is something bad. Uh, well, if you're a MAGA Republican, you're, you must be a Nazi. Anyway, so uh, he gives this press conference. Oh, they made fun of my addiction. They, they put pictures of me nude up at the congressional hearing. Uh, they took my private property. No, you left the laptop behind, you drug addict. So this is, uh, listen to him. I thought he was just going to cry, you know, some tears because the love of his father is being tainted. And this is all political and and so forth and so on. Well, do you remember what happened to Steve Bannon uh, and anybody else on the the Trump train that uh, was subpoenaed and didn't show up? Well, they were prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, And the Republicans now are going to hold him in contempt. And, you know, try to get him in to answer questions. But he wants to be in a public forum so he could say that I can't discuss this because it's classified. It may have some classification issues. Uh, or he'll just take the fifth. But listen to, uh, just listen to his, you know, oh, what was me, I'm the victim. Good morning. I'm here today to answer at a public hearing any legitimate questions Chairman Comer and the House Oversight Committee may have for me. I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. And I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. For that, I'm responsible. For that, I'm accountable. And for that, I'm making amends. But I'm also here today to correct how the MAGA right has portrayed me for their political purposes. I am first and foremost a son, a father, a brother, and a husband from a loving and supportive family. 
I'm proud to have earned degrees from Georgetown University and Yale Law School. I'm proud of my legal career and business career. Well, Hunter Biden's pretty proud of himself. He's achieved a lot in life. Oh, when he had addiction problems. Addiction problems? He had, uh, it was more than an addiction. It was hedonism at its worst. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He spent over a million dollars on prostitutes. How do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Give me a million dollars to spend on prostitutes. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Well, maybe I could have 40 years earlier in my life. Certainly can't do it now. Oh, my. Um, it goes on and on. Uh, I'll play a little bit more for you. I don't want to play the whole thing uh, because this was uh, out, I guess, what was it Wednesday? Uh, I, I'm sure you heard most of it, but I'm just going to play a couple more poignant uh, parts of his press conference. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session, session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They ridiculed my struggle with addiction. They belittled my recovery. And they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. Let me state as clearly as I can, my father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. Taking the light of my dad's love, the light of my dad's love for me and presented it as darkness. They have no shame. No, Hunter Biden, you have no shame. I mean, all the evidence that's come out of the things that you have done, uh, not to mention your drug, sexual, all that other stuff, uh, you have no shame. Republicans have no shame. Uh, it's just amazing, you know, uh, Trump was impeached uh, for asking a question about Ukraine and Burisma. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden, who apparently was heavily involved with getting the prosecutor fired, uh, was involved. He, he made it happen. Uh, and all these wire transfers of money to the Biden family. I mean, you can't get more evidence than that. So Biden gets away with it, actually doing it, and Trump gets impeached for asking a question about it. And all the Democrats are all against this impeachment. Now, uh, did you hear carefully what um, Hunter Biden said about his father's involvement in his business? He said, my father wasn't financially involved. Well, that's a lot different than my father was not involved in my business in any way. He said financially involved. It's a big change in terms. Yeah, the money went all to everybody else in the family and however it got kicked back to Joe. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he wasn't financially involved. Sure he was. He wasn't maybe financially involved, but he was just the, the person who uh, provided the influence that Hunter was peddling. It's just really crazy. I can't listen to any more of that. Uh, uh, you see how feels so bad for himself. The love of my father is being, the light of my father's love is being brought to the darkness. Um, I think your father's dark, dark as it is, upstairs. Anyway, nobody's home.
But uh, now the corrupt media, the, the media is so corrupt and, and they might as well just be uh, the presidential press spokeswoman. They might as well be that. The New York Times took the quote, the original quote from Hunter Biden, let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business. But the New York Times chose misinformation instead. A legend that Hunter said, let me state as clearly as I can, my father was not involved in my business. Omitting, omitting the enormously significant financially qualifier. It's just, uh, they just lie. It's insane. And... Uh, there's no journalism in this country anymore. So Wednesday afternoon, shortly after uh, uh, Hunter's spectacle in front of the Congress, uh, White House uh, spokeswoman Corinne Jean-Pierre, she stunned reporters by acknowledging for the first time that, first time, Joe Biden being involved with Hunter's legal trouble, saying several times that he was, quote, familiar with what Hunter was going to say today. And, and that's a problem. Because if uh, defying a legal congressional subpoena is a crime, well, was Joe Biden giving him advice to do that? Isn't that aiding and abetting a crime? Uh, CBS News uh, White House reporter Ed O'Keefe spoke about the change in uh, White House strategy. He said, this is one of those things that make you go, hmm, moments. That is going to lead to more questionings by uh, reporters in Congress. And Peter Ducey from a Fox, he says, the wall between the Bidens to protect the president has been breached after the White House press secretary uh, said Joe was familiar with Hunter's remarks before he appeared in Capitol Hill. So this is what she said. She says, uh, look, you know, the, the president was certainly familiar with what his son was going to say. And I think what you saw was from the heart, from his son. And you've heard, you've heard me say this. You've heard the president say this. When it comes to the president and the first lady, they are proud of him continuing to rebuild his life. They're proud of their son. And she wouldn't go on um, uh, and expand any further. She was asked, is the president okay with his son defying a congressional subpoena? And she goes, I'm just not going to get into, into specifics on that. I would have to re uh, would have to refer you to the president's, not the president, but Hunter's personal personal representatives. He is a private citizen, so I'm not going to get into it. And she wouldn't answer any other questions about it. I think she realized she kind of stepped in it by saying that the president was familiar with it. Uh, but again, is it is that aiding and abetting a crime? Is that an impeachable offense? Telling your son to defy Congress. Well, maybe it is. And then Eric Swarwell. Is there any more slimy guy in Congress than this guy Swarwell? Yeah, Adam Schiff, uh, he's, he's one. But uh, this guy Swarwell, man, he makes my skin crawl. So he's been accused of aiding and abetting a crime after colluding with Hunter Biden and uh, his lawyer to defy a congressional subpoena. He's in Congress and he's telling them to def def defy a, a, a subpoena. You know this guy Swarwell, the disgraced... Democratic rep. He was removed from the House uh, Intelligence Committee because he had a relationship with a Chinese spy. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and he's the one who organized this Hunter Biden press conference to defy his own house. Uh, Democrats get away with murder. They really do. 
So uh, Hunter Biden defies a uh, congressional subpoena. You know, when a J6, the January 6 people uh, were defying subpoenas, he came out and he said that they should be prosecuted for defying a congressional subpoena. You want to talk about hypocrisy? Listen, these are his own words. Ask the president tonight, what is his response to this? What does he think of people who are defying these subpoenas? And should the Justice Department prosecute them? And this is what he told us. I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Should they be prosecuted by the I, I do, Department? yes. Just a little bit of hypocrisy there. Uh, uh, you should comply with the congressional subpoenas as long as it's not your son. And as long as it doesn't implicate you. Uh, you know, the hypocrisy is just unbelievable. It really is. So this week, um, the Republicans uh, voted to uh, uh, make uh, the impeachment inquiry official. And every Republican voted for it and every Democrat voted against it. You want to talk about partisan? That That's it. These are the same people that impeached Trump twice uh, over nonsense. Uh, but not one of them are concerned with any of these potential crimes of their president. Not one Democrat out of 211 thought that, what are they afraid of? If there's no, nothing there, there's no crime committed, why wouldn't they want to investigate it and, and get the subject uh, off the news? The news that covers it anyway. And there's tremendous amount, overwhelming evidence of their corrupt uh, influence peddling scheme. I mean, there's bank transfers, there's texts, there's the laptop, there's whistleblowers, there's, the evidence is there. And uh, 70% of voters and 40% of Democrats believe Biden has acted unlawfully or unethically or both. Yet every Democrat voted to stop any further inquiry. I mean, that's, it's hard to rationalize, even in our partisan times right now. It really is. And that's the way they are. They always stick together. Uh, whereas uh, the Republicans don't. I'm surprised the Republicans all stuck together on this. I'm surprised there wasn't 10 or 12 of them that just, oh, I don't want to go through this, you know, these rhino, uh, rhino Republicans anyway. So we'll see where that goes. Um, but um, that tells you the state of, of politics in America when not one Democrat would vote uh, to inquire. They're not voting to impeach him. That's a whole different story. This is just to have the inquiry go on in an official capacity. And they didn't want to do it. And that's, that's very disappointing. Very disappointing. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden's mental capacity continues to deteriorate. Um, I don't think a day doesn't go by that he doesn't mumble, stumble, bumble, say things that are crazy. Listen to him. He's at a news conference. He's talking about getting the prices of, uh, uh, of, of pharmaceuticals down. And, and, and listen how he gets so off track. He loses his thought. He loses his words. Uh, this is truly uh, what someone who has dementia does. Taxpayers already are chipping in, making paying a lot of money for that here at NIH to get these brilliant scientists to go out and find cures, find a- a- answers to the drug problem, to, to drugs, for with the use of drugs for health problems. Oh boy, 
You know, a guy at his stage of um, age and mental capacity uh, would not be working anywhere, let alone being the chief executive of the United States of America. Uh, he wouldn't be working at Walmart. And they're trying to get him four more years. Could you just imagine? Could you imagine if he actually won and he actually stayed alive for four years? Could you imagine what, what, what a mush he would be <laughs> three or four years from now, let alone six months from now? I mean, he's going downhill quite rapidly. And I just don't understand why the Democrats haven't pulled the plug on him yet. But they're going to. So listen to what he says about he's doing a Hanukkah service and uh, he states that twice he says says this, that uh, Israel was attacked by Hamas 65 years ago. Where did he get 65 years from? Uh, Did he mean 65 days? That's probably what he meant. meant, And he's reading from a script. Listen. But we know this year's Hanukkah is different. It's been 65 years since the deadliest day of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. 65 years. Boy, the Israelis have been at war with the Hamas for quite a long time. Uh, boy, 65 years, that's a long time to have this war going on. It's just, it's actually sad. The guy, the guy shouldn't even be anywhere near uh, government. Uh, he should be staring at uh, the prices right on TV, not knowing what he's watching and being taken care of on his, uh, in his last days. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, he is the subject of the worst elder abuse I've ever seen. And I blame his wife. How could his wife, Jill, allow this to happen to her husband? It's obvious to everybody that the guy is gonzo. And she lets him go out on the world stage and embarrass himself every day. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what's in it for her, but she should be ashamed of herself. The whole family should be ashamed of themselves. Maybe they feel that's the only way they could protect the Bidens is by him being president and pardoning everybody once they're convicted. Uh, maybe that's a strategy, but uh, it's, uh, it's not a good look for the rest of the world, I'll tell you that. I told you when I um, started the show that I just got back from a seven-day cruise vacation in very, very rough seas, uh, and I'm very tired and uh, exhausted, and I uh, had to come home and produce this show, and we're, we're going to end it kind of early. I have a few more things I want to share for you with you on the other side of the break, uh, but we're going to do an abbreviated version of the podcast this week. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a little cranky. Uh, maybe I'm not, I don't have my A game today. Uh, I'm dealing with a headache, uh, so we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll finish up with some outrages of the week. Don't go away. AFM Investments' Lou Skatigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Registered Investment Advisory Services through Fortitude Advisory Group. 
Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. All right, I want to tell you about a story uh, in regard to immigration and border patrol, uh, what we went through. I, me- I mentioned it on the, in the beginning of the show. Uh, what an awful cruise it was because we were supposed to go to Bahamas. Uh, it, the sun was never out. It rained the whole time. The seas were bad. It, it was just a terrible cruise. And they diverted us from this private island to Miami. Now, Miami, it was pouring rain uh, all day long, and they made us all get off the ship because now we're in a U.S. port uh, from a foreign country because we were in Nassau, uh, and then they herded us all, 5,700 of us, into the terminal. Now, nobody left the terminal because it was pouring rain. There was nothing to do, uh, and we had to sit there for four hours while everybody went through immigration, and they cleared the ship. And I'm thinking to myself, how ironic is this? Uh, That here I am being put through this to enter my own country. And at the same time, 15,000 people a day are walking through our southern border. Uh, It made me insane uh, that that they're going to put Americans through this. But they'll give you a $5,000 gift card and a cell phone to walk in through Arizona and Texas. Meanwhile, I had had biometrics done to make sure I was who I was. I was a U.S. citizen. My passport was checked. And, uh, and we were put through four hours of hell. Uh, it, it's, it's quite ironic what's going on in our country. And then, you know, uh, a, a sheriff was reporting in Texas that he's seeing migrants are boarding planes without IDs. They just say, here, here, here's a boarding pass. Just go. You don't have to show your ID to... Um, TSA or anybody else. Now, what would happen to us if we tried to get through TSA without an ID? It makes you crazy, doesn't it? It really does. All right, let's uh, end the show with some outrages of the week. First one is this. Here's a headline on Zero Hedge, I believe it was. No, it was the Gateway Pundit. Radical Michigan imam calls for Muslims to wage jihad in the U.S., Ahmad Musa Jibrel, a Michigan Islamist preacher, has called on American Muslims to wage jihad against the infidel West and declared Muslims in the U.S. should start normalizing jihad. Uh, He uh, labeled Joe Biden a terrorist for his administration's policies towards Israel. 
You have seen that senile pharaoh of our time. He has lost his mind of everything except his loyalty and support for Jewish occupiers is more to blame for the genocide in Palestine than the occupying Jews. So he's basically telling these people who are in our country, who immigrated legally or illegally, to kill Americans. Shouldn't the FBI be at his home right now arresting him? Calling for terrorist acts against American citizens? Well, maybe they have. I haven't seen any news on that. I haven't read anything about that. Isn't there some kind of law against inciting terrorism? So uh, according to the New York Post, this guy has a history of inciting those in his community. And you got to understand that in Michigan, there's parts of Michigan that are all radical Muslim. That's, that's where they, they, they uh, congregate. And that's what they've done uh, uh, in, in France. There's no-go zones there. They have their own Sharia law. And that's what they want to do here. So here's a guy calling for jihad against Americans, a guy who's living in America, who's enjoying the benefits of our country, uh, and he's trying to tell fellow Muslims to kill us. So last week in Iowa, in their Capitol building, uh, they, the Satanic Temple of Iowa set up a giant statue of a Baphomet, along with other Satanic imagery, as part of their holiday display inside Iowa's Capitol building. Who gave them permission to do that? And then what happened was uh, a guy named Michael Cassidy, who's a, who's a strong Christian, he's a veteran, he decapitated it and threw the head in the trash can. So what happened? He got arrested. He got arrested for it. So uh, this guy Cassidy went on to say, he said, the world may tell Christians to submissively accept the legitimization of Satan, but none of the founders would have considered government sanction of satanic altars inside Capitol buildings as being protected by the First Amendment. Um, the satanic temple of Iowa responded to their Baphomet being destroyed by writing, this morning authorities informed us that the Baphomet statue in our holiday display was destroyed beyond repair. The press release continued, we are proud to continue our holiday display for the next few days that we have been allotted. Um, it's just unbelievable. They concluded their, their statement by writing, Hail Satan. Can you believe this? This is in America. And you wonder why bad things are going to happen to our country? Meanwhile, uh, a fire department in eastern Iowa, eastern Iowa, was pressured to take down its nativity scene after receiving a, a complaint from the far left Freedom from Religious Foundation. The Toledo Fire Department has been putting up a nativity scene for over 15 years, but was pressured to take down their display to, to avoid a possible lawsuit from the Freedom from Religious Foundation. Uh, of course, the residents there don't favor this. So... Christian symbols have to be taken down. But in the Iowa Capitol building, satanic symbols can be there. Could you believe this is even possible? I mean, everything in the world these days is just outrageous. Uh, it's just the opposite of what it should be. And it's spiritual rot. And, and, and I believe we're going to be smited for it.
we moved away from God. And I truly believe the reason why this country was blessed is because of our, our, our Jewish and Christian uh, values. Uh, one nation under God, and God we trust. And now uh, you can't have a nativity scene in a public square, but you can have a satanic baphomet uh, in the capital of one of our states. You can't make this stuff up. It's so incredibly crazy. Uh, but that's not where the craziness ends. Uh, did you see the video, the commercial video that uh, Jill Biden put out uh, about her Christmas decorations? It was the most creepy, weird kind of thing. And social media uh, was roasting Jill Biden, uh, saying it was tacky, tasteless, anti-Christmas. Uh, if you watch this thing, you'd be saying, what am I watching here? And of course, the people who did uh, the, the commercial, a uh, far left-wing organization that wants to defund the police, depopulate the prisons and everything else. Uh, and somebody contrasted that with uh, the ad video that uh, Mel- uh, Melania Trump put out uh, on a Christmas uh, when she was in the White House, which was totally different and pro-Christmas. But the uh, internet went crazy. Uh, these are some of the comments that some people have. It's a mentally ill Christmas at the Biden White House. Uh, uh, the Biden White House. Uh, delete this. It's horrible. Is everyone on the White at the White House on drugs? Stop normalizing mental illness. Wow. Whoa. Now that is really nasty and gross. Nothing magical about dudes in dresses with things ruining the holiday classic. Uh, and somebody else writes, oh, my God, this can't be real. Horrible. The one guy looks like a perv character from The Shining. Yikes. Hide the children if you don't want nightmares. Disappointing. Uh, that, that's what these people, I mean, like, this is all purposeful. This is ins- insanity. Here's another one. I can go, I guess, another half hour, you know, with all this outrage of the week. Racist Democratic Boston mayor defends anti-white electeds of color holiday party. So this woman sends out invitations to her party as mayor of Boston. Uh, she's Asian. Michelle Wu is her name. And uh, only people of color were allowed to come. Could you imagine if a white mayor had a holiday party and only whites could come? Do you imagine, imagine the outrage? Now, there's been some outrage on it, but she, she you know, deflected it. Saying uh, we believe in inclusivity. Well, if you're excluding white people, that's not inclusive. Uh, then she went on to say, the pressure got really tough on her. I've, I've been part of a group that gathers, represented uh, elected officials of color across all different levels of government in Massachusetts, she said. A group that has been in place for more than a decade and the opportunity to create a space for people to celebrate and rotate who hosts. The mayor apologized and said the sending of the party invitation to officials who do not fit this, the description was an honest mistake. I think we've all been in a position at one point where an email went out and there was a mistake in the recipient. So she's not apologizing for actually excluding whites. She's just apologizing that the email went to whites and said uh, only people of color can come. All right. Outrage. What is it? Number three or four? I'm losing count. Uh, trans athlete to become the first male recipient of women's Division I scholarship. A transgender volleyball player and high school junior from California, verbally committed to play at the University of Washington, 
which would make him the first known male recipient of a woman's Division I athletic scholarship. So now they're taking, not only taking medals away uh, from women, now they're taking their scholarships away. Uh, this is a serious mental illness problem in this country. It really is. Uh, here we go with more transgender nonsense. 50 uh, controversy ensued at the Trojan Cup swimming competition as quote-unquote Melody Wisehart, a 50-year-old transgender woman, no, a 50-year-old man in a skirt, competed in events for athletes age 16 and older and shared her locker room with teenage participants. Parents and competitors expressed concern over the weekend-long event that took place from December 1st to 3rd. This happened in um, Canada. And I think, um, I think he won. Um, doesn't say. No, he, uh, he placed second in the, uh, in the event, uh, and he had a silver medal. And, he, and he's 50 years old, and he's swimming against children as young as 16. Uh, it's all so confusing for the kids, one parent told the Toronto Sun. No one is comfortable. Everybody is accepting of all people, but them swimming against our kids and being in the locker room with them is not appropriate. No kidding. We must comply with both provincial. This, this is what um, Swimming Canada said. We must comply with both provincial law and municipal policy, aligning with human rights policies on preventing discrimination. Swim meets are normally conducted in facilities open to the public, and minors routinely share change room space with adults. No, but minor girls don't. Unbelievable. Uh, here we go. Here. Uh, what else do we have? What other outrage do we have? Oh, here we are. Our, our favorite uh, agency in government, the FBI, has left many questioning the agency's priorities with the adoption of the LGBTQIA+, an acronym over the previously used LGBT+. The change brought to public attention by former agent and whistleblower Kyle Seferin directs FBI employees to alter their language practices to be more inclusive of different gender identities and sexual orientations. Uh, is this really what you want your FBI to be concerned about? I mean, all right, so what does this stand for? I, I didn't even know what it, some of these stand for because these letters keep getting longer and longer, and now they're using symbols and pluses and minuses. Who knows? So we knew LGBT was uh, lesbian, gay, bi, and trans. And the plus was for everything else in between, which is whacked enough in itself. Uh, and now they're changing it to LGBTQIA+, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer questioning, intersex, asexual slash aromatic. Aromatic, what the hell does that mean? The plus represents other gender, sexual, and romantic identities not covered by the letters of the acronym. Uh, what didn't they cover in that acronym? Someone email me and tell me what intersex is. Tell me what aromatic is. It, it, this is insanity, total insanity. We're living in, I don't know what we're living in, the twilight zone. So effective immediately, the FBI will implement the LGBTQI acronym in all facets of its operations. This includes internal events, observances, communications, products of the U.S. intelligence community, 
and all external communications like social media posts, public reports, and announcements. Uh, more than 30 federal agencies, including the Department of Justice, use a form of the expanded acronym. This is total insanity. I, I use this word insane so much. Uh, meanwhile, they're, um, they're trying to take down Donald Trump and uh, uh, cover for Biden. These people. I, I can keep going with this stuff. I really could. Uh, let me see. What else do I have here? Uh, lastly, we'll do this one. Chicago made to punish high-achieving students by eliminating the city's selective enrollment schools in the name of equity. So this mayor, Brandon Johnson, he's just as bad as the previous one. Why, why does these Democratic cities keep electing the same losers uh, that keep them in poverty and crime? I, I don't know. So Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson is going to punish students who work hard and do well by eliminating the city's selective enrollment high schools. And it's all happening in the name of the progressive concept of equity. So instead of trying to make everyone excel, the city's going to drag down the students who manage to study and get good grades. They want to make everyone equal, equally miserable, equally ignorant. It's just like... It's totally outrageous. Everything's outrageous. We live in a, we live in crazy times, my friends. It's that simple. All right, we're at the end of today's podcast. Uh, I went longer than I thought it was going to go. I'm a little cranky today. Might not be on my A game, uh, but I uh, wouldn't la- I wouldn't uh, miss uh, a podcast for the world. I love you guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, sharing the podcast with friends and family and like-minded people because we talk about things that uh, other people don't talk about in this program. That's for sure. Uh, you want to get in touch with me, my email is lou at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Share the podcast again if you want to make a financial consultation with me. Now we're going into the new year. It's a good time to try to get your finances in order. Uh, give my office a call, 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100 to schedule your no-obligation uh, financial review uh, right after the new year. Uh, great time to do that. Great time to get your finances in order, uh, and we're here to help you. Again, thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us for the Financial Physician Podcast, and be sure to join us each and every week and share the program. And never forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Have a good week.